uh, let's like to welcome you, David, Thanks, and uh, share with us what the Lord has on your heart. Oh, good, good. Well, thank you. You know, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You, you know your home when, when some of your few parking spot options are only parallel parking, and there's a fog bank just welcoming you. And from Texas, that's a welcome sight. Uh, and there's still people who refer to you as Davy, uh, which I welcome because I don't get that many places. And in a town as, uh, as mobile and as transient and as much turnover that San Francisco has, it's sort of nice to have a history with people. So uh, thank you, Tim, and thanks for having me. It's, it's fun to be here. Uh, this is a treat for me. Uh, you know, recently I had uh, a really busy week uh, because, well, it felt like pretty much every other week. Does that resonate with you at all? Uh, it feels like life throws out more things in, in our daily schedule than we can accommodate or care to put up with. And so life begins to feel like a constant stream of interruptions. And yet, what I'm learning is that God is in the interruption as much as he's in the script. And we have this way about us that we look at the interruptions that our life as an inconvenience, as something bothersome, as something to be avoided, as something to manage, as something to proactively get ahead of. And yet I would contend that God is as much in the interruptions as he is in the script. So let me cue a recent interruption. Um, like Tim said, I'm, I'm living in, Tus- uh, excuse me, not Tuscaloosa anymore. God's uh, sent us from that assignment. Yeah, when you're born and raised in San Francisco and you end up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it would have been better if we were exchanging foreign currency because then it would have just helped me. Like, I'm a missionary. I get it. Uh, nevertheless, Austin, Texas has been where we've been for the last 10 years. Um, uh, we're in a larger church. Um, and uh, it, it's a nice church. Um, let me just say this about a large church. There's some really neat things about it. There's some, even some advantages. One of the things that you don't get in larger, larger churches is you don't get as much intergenerational relationship. You miss out on the proximity that you have with people who have just been married 20 years longer or have followed Christ 30 years longer. And so one of the things that I appreciate so much about growing up in Bethel is that it's not a mega church. And please don't buy into the, the myth, the fallacy that somehow God blesses bigger. That's very Texas, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we just need to clarify what God blesses. And um, I say all that to say I don't have a lot of inner. I, I work with singles, and we have this life stage group of singles, and I work with young couples, and I work with young families, um, and I do some teaching in some different arenas and preaching. But I had the chance to develop a relationship with an elderly gentleman. He was in his late 80s, and he had all kinds of health issues. But he was an avid baseball fan. Now, full disclosure, I would probably, if I have a vice, it would be baseball. Like, it's not even a fan thing. It's sort of a nerd thing. Like, I follow baseball, and specifically Giants baseball, way too closely. Yeah. And for those of us who are here in the mid-80s going through those painful years before Roger Craig and the hum baby thing whole started, that was a rough go. So it's really pleasant, especially in 2010 when you're living in Texas and they win it all. You're like, 
trying to celebrate as quietly as you can, but just joy in my heart. I found an old, older gentleman, and his name was Jimmy Cartwright, and for years he had been um, with one company operating as a salesman for years, and he just had this love for people, but his, his eyesight was just about gone. Um, the highlight of his week uh, was to be able to be an usher, and he would stand there, and, and you know, he's on a cane, and he, he'd be kind of propped up in a stool, and until you got right about here, did he recognize you, and usually it was by the sound of his, your voice. Um, but our connection was baseball. And for years, he had been there on opening day of the Colt 45s in Houston. And he had been there on opening day of the Astros when they opened the Astrodome. And, the, and, and he had just had season tickets for years. So our connection was always baseball. And he was married to Miss Joe. Miss Joe was a quintessential Southern woman, with never without her pearls and her lipstick. And she was just a, a picture of poise. And she always liked it that I kind of took such an interest in and Jimmy, but for anyone who wants to go to like the, the second and third and sixth levels, levels of baseball conversation, I'm all in. Well, and so he could celebrate sort of my team doing better anyway. I got a call on a week, and uh, the call was Jimmy's health is failing him. And that wasn't uncommon. He would constantly be battling different conditions, but Jimmy had gone into hospice care, and I felt like I really wanted to be a part hospice care and shortly after I left that night he was going to be put on a morphine drip just to somehow mitigate the pain as he lived out his last few hours so I got myself to hospice care and I when you show up for these moments these unplanned moments these unscripted moments you don't have a chance to kind of gather your thoughts you just kind of want to make time to do what you feel like you need to do or you want to do so I get there and I walk in I kind of say hi to Miss Joe and he's laying in his bed and she told me she says he's just he just keeps saying I want to go Dave I just want to go and so I sit down along bedside and then it occurs to me I I don't have anything to, uh, where do you start right what So I start where I always started and finished, baseball, right? So we start talking baseball, and he just says, David, I I don't even want to watch the rest of the season. I'll just want to see it from heaven. I don't want to be here anymore. And I said, I know. I know, Jimmy, soon. And so what do you say to a guy who, well, he's not suicidal, wants to die so badly? He wants to go home. Home wasn't home home. Home is in capital H home, heaven. And uh, so I sit there, and here's what came to me. In that moment, I said, Jimmy, you want to hear some good news? And he's laying there sort of eyes half mass. He says, yeah, David, tell me some good news. I said, Jimmy, you're going to get you a new body. That sound like good news to you? He goes, what? I said, well, Scripture tells us that we get a new body, that we have an earthly body with splendor, but our heavenly bodies are different and a different kind of splendor. Second Corinthians talks about that. And I said, seems like this body has served you well, but is wearing out and you're going to get a new body. That sound like good news? Yeah, that sounds like good news. So I sit with him a little longer and I said, well, I'm just going to pray for you if that's okay. And I bring out my my little ring and I've got a little vial that I like to anoint people and I just want to pray a a word over him. So I lay my hands on him and um, I pray over him and Miss Joe's right there near us. And um, it was a pretty tender moment and I, I didn't know quite how to finish. So I began humming a few bars of a couple of favorite hymns. And I got another word and it said, 
Hey, Jimmy, I got some more good news for you. You ready for some more good news? He says, yeah, tell me some good news. I said, so many people, so many people die alone. And Jimmy, you get to die with a room full of people who just love you. You get to die knowing with a full heart of joy that you're a loved man. And that, friend, is a gift. That sound like good news to you? Yeah, that sounds like good news. He says, David, I'm tired now. I said, well, you go ahead and rest. I want to talk to Miss Joe a little bit. I tell you that story simply to say this. The reason, you know, that, that was that moment in my week was an interruption simply because that visit wasn't planned. The reason that that was an interruption is because it felt to me that I didn't want to have to look at his wife of 60 plus years or his four children or his grandchildren, all of whom would feel his loss. That felt like an interruption to me emotionally. It felt like an interruption to me because I had to come to grips with my own frailty to life, my own grieving, my own sense of mortality. Frankly, I would sometimes rather be too busy and remain insensitive because it feels emotionally safer. It felt like an interruption because I have to come to grips with celebrating a God who looks at loss Uh, differently than I do and has looks at gains differently than I do. But in that moment, I was sort of renewed by things that were just coming to my mind. I was renewed by the scripture out of Nehemiah that says, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. So for those of us who feel like our physical bodies break down or we're not catching the breaks, we can be renewed in the joy of the Lord. And so in this moment that was an interruption at the beginning of the day, I started to feel God's pleasure as I was renewed by his word. I started to feel God's presence and felt like this interruption was more than an inconvenience. It was like a divine appointment. So I would like to talk today about the interruptions. And we have a phrase that goes something like, pardon the interruption. And there's even a show about pardon the interruption. But Rather than looking at an interruption as an inconvenience, as something to be avoided, as something to be remedied or corrected, I would like to simply suggest to you that maybe the interruption is part of God trying to get a hold of our attention because he actually wants to draw us near. So it feels like, not pardon the interruption as an apology, but pardon, don't miss the interruption. There's something to be gained by this. See, we all know what we're going to do tomorrow, and we all know that we're going to be interrupted with something. And all I'm saying is simply, God might just be in the interruption. There can be this encounter that we have that's not to be missed. It does feel good to be home. Um, It does feel good to be back in the city. Bethel has been the place that laid a foundation for me. Uh, and I have this kind of eternal gratitude for it. And maybe you're here for the first time today. Maybe you've been here a year. Maybe you've been here for 10 years. Um, But I would simply submit to you that you are living and enjoying and reaping the benefit of generations of faithfulness. In fact, one of the things that I appreciate about Bethel is not its flash, but its faithfulness. And so there's been multiple generations that have just made a deposit in me, and so it feels good to somehow be home. And it's fun to come home to this and to be able to enjoy a little bit of time together. 
Let me suggest to you, there's a, a passage in scripture, well, actually a particular verse. Jesus shows up early in his public ministry and he makes a very bold statement. And the bold statement comes to us out of Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Some of you might be familiar with this, but it's layered and it's loaded. And if I could just spend the next few moments peeling back some of the layers, because I think there's a lot of richness in it as we contend with the demands of both (laughs) the grand plans of life and the mundane plans of life, the interruptions of life and the valleys and the mountaintops and everything in between. Jesus comes and he makes a bold, audacious proclamation when he says these words. And he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about our sense of timing. Because we are, if you're like me, tend to be control freaks. We tend to guard our time, sometimes even more than our own finances and resources. Because time seems to be the most precious commodity. So I felt like maybe God could have something to say about the sense of timing of our lives. I'd like to talk about heaven. Because we keep waiting for something to get better. And I'm contending that it doesn't, we don't have to wait till we die to experience a little heaven on earth. And then the third thing I'd like to talk about out of this verse is simply, what does it mean for us to turn? What does it mean for us to repent? What does it mean to walk in the grace of God? So the first thing I would simply say is that when he introduces this idea of time, time has two different features out of the Greek text. Now, time would refer to the first kind we would naturally think of as chronos, or chronology is where we get the word. It is from the beginning of our life to the current state of our life and everything in between. But there's a linear sequence to what happens in life. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't use that word. In fact, in the Greek, he uses a different word, and the word is kairos. That word literally translates to be opportunity. Jesus makes an announcement under an oppressed people. Rome was leading the charge. They were oppressing people to great degrees and taxation. People who had once been landowners were now basically living on subsistence farming. And Jesus speaks to them and he says, the time has come. In other words, he's announcing that there are opportunities, not just mountaintop experiences. There are opportunities in our everyday and ordinary life for what? He begins to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those terms are used synonymously. Now, let me just qualify something, what we mean. Now, many people think of heaven as that place like an insurance policy, like a good retirement plan, that if you sow seeds, that there's somewhere better for you to go when you die. And while I don't discredit that and don't not believe that, I also believe, based on Jesus' announcement, that heaven is not just a there and then, it's a here and now. Heaven is a present reality as much as it's a future destination. And the more we can live into the present reality of the kingdom of heaven here and now, the more we can begin to see God's rule and reign in a world that's broken and in desperate need of healing. So when we say things like the kingdom of heaven, Let's not confuse that with simply where I go when I die. 
when he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about ushering in and establishing God's rule and reign here and now. So when you watch the news and when you live in a world that feels broken and disjointed and hurting and unjust, understand that A, that's not what God intended, and B, he created a good earth. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, he's been about the restoration of all things. And the end of the book talks about God coming out of heaven and restoring what he began. I would simply define heaven as the place and the, and, the, and the condition for which God intended. And he looks at his followers. He looks at the ones who would bear his name, the one who have said yes to him and put him on the throne of their life as his ambassadors, as citizens of heaven, to be also ambassadors on earth to restore and repair. So when we talk about heaven, let's not confuse it with somewhere else exclusively. Let's think about it as here and now, that when we see hell on earth, when we experience hell on earth, we can also be a part of ushering in heaven on earth. Jesus, in this bold declaration, says the time, the opportunity is now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, not futuristic, but here and now. So how do we begin to experience that? And he says, repent and believe the good news. Now, Man, if there was one really loaded word, it's repentance, right? I mean, who would have come this morning if you knew the preacher was talking about repentance? Because, right, that's like that recipe for, oh, I'm going to feel worse about myself after this, right? If you go down to 24th and, and Mission at the BART station, I promise you there's some joker on a soapbox right now telling someone to repent. And it's not a compelling message. It's the guy that makes you feel worse about yourself. And that's why we tend to want to avoid it and we don't want to talk about it. But I would submit to you that the condition or the idea, the, nurture, the nature behind repentance is the grace of God. It, repentance is simply a reminder of our acceptance, not our rejection. And he invites us to not only experience heaven on earth, but to re- be restored in that through repenting and believing, which I would simply boil down to examination and response. So let's just talk a little bit about repentance because I don't like the idea that somehow repentance makes me feel worse than when we started, right? That that, that makes me cringe. I kind of like, here he goes. What is he going to say next? No. The word here out of Hebrew that Jesus was referring to is a word called teshuva. Shuv simply means turn. And I would say that sometimes repentance is a turning from, and sometimes it's a turning towards. But in either case, the invitation of the creator of the universe is to draw near. So when Jesus makes an announcement, what he's really doing is he's interrupting their way of thinking, their way of living, their way of even believing that heaven, despite the oppression, despite the injustice, can come crashing into earth here and now. What happened after the garden? I mean, if you look at what God created, and two chapters into the book, all of a sudden, we get introduced to three things that we have been contending with ever since. Shame, fear, and regret. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, God has been trying to restore and repair 
a broken humanity. And he gives us this vehicle of grace called repentance. Again, to be reminded of our acceptance to draw near from him. Again, I would contend that sometimes repentance means turning from. And other times it means turning towards. But unless and until we're sensitive to the interruptions of our life, will we ever draw near? Sometimes we wait for the mountaintops. Sometimes we may to really just wait to be moved in a worship service. I'm, I'm saying that in our daily, ordinary, demanding lives, there are these kairos moments. It's those kairos moments that feels like there's something else going on here. Do you have those moments where you just kind of scratch your head and you feel like the spirit is actually saying something? There's something I'm supposed to respond to. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something else going on here. Maybe some of you are journalers. Those, that's, what, that's what gets the most ink in your, in your journal. Or maybe some of you, you process that a little bit differently, but you experience these moments, these what I call kairos moments, these opportunities where something more is at stake. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. It was just a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my office after kind of a long, full morning. I'd started the morning early and uh, come through, got to my office, had, uh, did some teaching that morning, had been with a lot of people, and I came back to my office, and I noticed my phone line was the blinking, there was a message that came in, and it's like 1230, um, I'm always hesitant to pick that call up and go, oh gosh. Uh, I listened to the message, and it had some vague reference to medical something or another, and I thought it was a part of our, something else in our personal life. Oh, I'm just going to call back. And um, everything in me says, don't call back, because this is not what you think it is, but I did it anyway, and it was exactly what I thought. And um, I'm just going to, full confession, uh, when you work at a church and a nonprofit for 20 years, I don't mean to sound like i am kind of got a hardened heart, but you hear a lot of pleas for help. You, you get taken advantage of. People know the system, uh, particularly when you work at a nonprofit and a church. Uh, and so I called this lady back. And you know what? She, there, our, our senior pastor is Dave Haney. I'm Dave Sunday. And I think she meant to call him. And she got through to my voicemail. And when did you know? So I'm like, no, this is David Sunday. Um, and she went on with her story. Tragic story. Don't mean to sound insensitive, but I'm like, oh, good God. How am I going to help her? Like, you're making your problem mine. I, forgive me. But, you know, it's just one of those sort of honest moments. And so she's going off. She's, she's a, a personal caregiver and she's got this person in a wheelchair and she's got her um, an assisted living care facility tomorrow but she's in a motel six down in not a good part of town and would you please help and um, I'm trying to ask some questions to sort of see if the story is consistent and you're doing all this stuff and I said well I'll need to call you back Um, you know we kind of have our things that we do to help out in need we sort of have our um, kind of homeless connections and our food bank connections, but we don't typically just give out cash, whatever. So I want to call our care pastor. You know, we have this care pastor. I'm in a larger church. We have someone who specializes in care and recovery, and she oversees what would be our local benevolence fund. And I call her who she's at lunch. And so I, I said, Paulette, tell me what you think. Um, here's a, and she says, oh, I wouldn't help her. I think it's a scam. I think she's telling you a lie. Don't even call. <laughs> to which I was like, well, please, uh, You've been clearly doing this too long with your hardened heart. Um, 
clearly my heart is more sensitive than hers. And so I sort of held her at bay and I listened to her. I was like, well, and it was sort of like God used that to say, keep going. And I, you know, I got off the phone with her and she's like, I wouldn't help. I think she's, you know, whatever. And then in in my mind, I'm thinking, what have you done for the least of these you've done unto me? And I hate it when scriptures won't leave me like that, right? That's super annoying, like, because I want to go to lunch too. Uh, and I, I'm thinking, all right. So I call the Motel 6, and I try and corroborate some of her story. And this is one of those Kairos moments, right? Kingdom of God is at hand. And all I'm trying to do is examine what's going on around me. And uh, so I call her back. And it was funny when I was getting off the phone with her. Are you, you promised to call me back? Are you sure you're going to call me back? Promise. I was like, ma'am, I told you I'd call you back. I said, let me just ask you, how many people, how many churches have you called today? Well, you're the only one I've talked to. I was like, yeah, because people work at churches on a Sunday morning. That's why people aren't picking up their phone, right? So I called back. I said, we're going to help. I'm, I'm going to help. Uh, oh, God, thank you, thank you, you know, whatever. So I grabbed my son, he's 15 years old, and I say, like, well, I'm not going to do this alone. And we'll get, you know, you're coming with me, buddy. Uh, so uh, the whole way down, you know, we're, we're driving down there, and I'm like, well, just kind of sharing my skepticism, confessing my hardened heart, believing that likelihood is that I'm being taken advantage of. And yet, I think... The scripture that kept reoccurring in my mind, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And I said, at the end of the day, what is an hour out of our life and 34 bucks for another night's lodging? We will never miss that. So just let's shut up and do it. And he's not said a word, but I'm like talking to myself out loud. Uh, So we go and do that and um, come home. Next day, Paulette, the deeply caring, you know, care pastor, comes into my office. What'd you do? And I was like, well, I, you know, I corroborated your story. I felt like it was legit. I just went and helped. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Okay, well, I trust you if you do that. That afternoon, she comes in. Hey, just want to let you know, that lady, she called back today. Same story. Wants another night's lodging at the Motel 6. So the question is, Did I do the right thing? Some of you are sitting there going, sucker, you got took. Some of you are going, absolutely. To which I would say, when you've done it for him, when you've done it for the audience of one, you've done the right thing. Come on now. What's 34 bucks in an hour out of your life? Is that going to change my life? Nope. When we have these kairos moments that feel like an inconvenience, we're going one direction. Sometimes it involves turning toward. And when we have to examine our lives and we begin to say, what is belief without a response? Repent and believe. And so in some cases, we need to confess. In other cases, we might need to give. We might need to serve. We might need to apologize. We might need to take responsibility. We might need to just go But we need to do something, right? Because it's a living faith. The time has come. The opportunity is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, but it's not automatic. The way we experience heaven on earth is by repent and believe.
And in this case, it was a turning towards something. One more example. Not too long ago, probably uh, in, in May, I was sitting at our kitchen table. And um, as Tim referenced, I have been invited to start a new church uh, in Austin, which just feels, if, if you ever do anything from startup, that just is daunting, o- overwhelming. It, uh, and so we're endeavoring to put together the pieces of this new work. And it's just not got the traction that I had hoped by this point. Um, we've been kind of given this year, it's in full support and partnership with Riverbend and uh, just in a real discouraged moment, uh, just feeling like ah, I'm trying to hold meetings, I'm doing coffee appointments, lunch appointments, I'm doing thought work, I'm doing lots of communication, and it just feels like it's not gaining a lot of traction. And there's this low level and sometimes high level of anxiety that you just feel like you're contending with. It feels overwhelming, like you're right at the waterline, just trying to not sink. Does this sound like anything familiar that you deal with? And somehow in my morning breakfast, uh, the kids were still asleep. I'm eating my fruit and granola, and I've got the word open. And I end up in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. And the words of the prophet came to the people of God who had been invited to rebuild the temple. And the temple had been in disarray, but this represented the presence of God. This was a rallying point for the children of God. And the work was getting long. The work was getting laborious. It was starting to hurt, right? Because you always start with kind of wind in your sails, but eventually you just kind of run out of momentum. And it starts to feel like work. What's found like inspirational calling now just feels like drudgery, right? Because their story is our story. This isn't just some historical text. This thing's living and active. And then the prophet Zechariah comes to the people of God in their grumbling, in their complaining, in their wanting to take a break. And he says, who dares despise the day of small things? All right, really? And it was like the word of the Lord just came to me. And he's just like, what, did you think you were going to start this thing on your charm? You think you got a good idea you're going to run with? You think you've got 20 years experience that you've done this enough that you can run and just goes, oh, no, no. I don't build it you're only laboring in vain and so in that case repentance was a turning from and it started with confessing anxiety and a whole lot of doubt and all the things that I was wrestling with that robbed God of who God actually is as the author and the perfecter of my own faith see sometimes when we talk about repentance it's a turning toward Sometimes it's a turning from. But in either case, we as children of God have this beautiful invitation to usher in heaven to a world that feels broken and desperate, to a world that feels like there's more hell on earth and we get to be ambassadors of heaven on earth. And it starts with the condition of my own heart. I was reminded... um, as I was getting ready this week of a passage, and it's a pretty familiar passage. It comes to us out of First um, Kings chapter 19. And see if you resonate with this. I, I, I didn't want to spend the whole time talking about this passage. It, it's in kind of an inspirational passage, mostly because I relate to it, but it's tragic in that the prophet Elijah 
uh, you know, the, the Israel had just gone kind of wayward and you have 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah just bows up and he takes them on and there's this altar experience and he just conquers them all and he's mocking him full bravado, chest out, just going, oh, and, and he wins, right? And then like he goes on the run after this, after he has this climactic moment, one of the signature moments of the prophet Elijah's life. And then he wanders off. That was 18. And then in 19, um, He's just having this desperate moment. God feeds him from nothing, and he just go hides out in a cave, and then he takes him out to the cliff, and then he invites him to just wait, watch, and listen. And again, some of you might be familiar with it. If you're not, it's First Corinthians. Uh, excuse me, First Corinthians. Uh, it comes to us out of First uh, Kings 19, and he talks about and God kind of sends um, this, you know, this fire and um and or he first sends the wind and the wind comes through and it tears the mountains apart but it says god wasn't in the wind but if you're like me i'm just looking for the wind right give me something obvious don't be subtle jesus like make it plain and clear right and then and then comes the earthquake and god's not in the earthquake and then then comes the fire and god's not in the fire and then in some versions it would say the still small voice or the whisper. But what's interesting about this passage, and it was God was in the whisper. He asked at the beginning of this and at the end of this, he asked a really profound question because their story is our story, right? And God's trying to interrupt our lives. What are you doing here? Has God, God not been faithful? Has God not shown up already? Has God not already given you faithfulness and success? Has God not already helped your life to this point and overcome? he's looking at him as he's looking at me and he's saying what are you doing here because God was in the whisper and I thought that's such a good picture for me as I cry out as I seek as I not just want but I need more of God in my life to say Jesus in all his wisdom comes with this announcement and he says hey the kingdom of God the time is now The opportunity is here. It's right in front of you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you experience that? Turn, repent, and believe. Examine and respond. And let God nurture the condition of our hearts. Maybe you could do this. Uh, There's some notes, and if you just want to. I started keeping a Kairos journal. Those moments that you stumble into where you just go, oh, there's something more going on here. And you just start to keep notes. And the minute you find that moment, you go, huh, what is God inviting me to do? This, if you, maybe some of you don't have the gift of discernment. This is how you nurture discernment. This is how you nurture that still small voice. This is how you tune in that frequency to what God's been saying all along and you go examine is there something i'm supposed to turn from or turn to simply put what is god saying then the second question is respond what do i do it's not rocket science but what it does is it conditions our heart and it gives us a kind of a sensitivity to be able to sense and see what god is doing where he's leading and how we can be a part of his restoration on earth as it is in heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm aware that your revelation is constant. And I'm aware that your presence is near. And even though you feel distant, 
I pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness, but you would interrupt us in our making plans, in our coming and our going. I believe that you're in the interruption as much as you're in the planned order of things. And so, God, we want to meet with you, but we, we also want to be used by you. We want to be shaped by you. So we pray, have your rule and have your reign, have your will and have your way on earth as it is in heaven. Sensitize us to those opportunities, those interruptions where you want to intersect heaven on earth. And we just give you our own hearts to say, have your will and have your way. And give us eyes to see that which you see and ears to hear that which you hear so that we can be formed and shaped further in your image, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.